We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Today is Saturday, December 12th, and welcome back to The Detective, everyone. I'm your host, Elon Martin. With me in the studio today are SOT editors Harrison Kelly, Shane LeChance. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. William Barbet. Good afternoon, everyone. And Corey Schenk. Hello. (laughs) The theme for today's show is Terror in the USA, and it's staring us right in the face. Uh, it's a sprawling topic, and we have a lot that we'd like to discuss today. But before we do, there have been some pretty serious developments on the economic front uh, in the world of finance and uh, and stocks. And, uh, William, you've had a little, little prepared on that subject. Could you give us a uh, a rundown on that? <laughs> well, as uh, everyone probably knows, there's the big debate of what's going to Wednesday for the Fed's decision whether they're going to hike rates, leave them the same, or actually do some more QE. Um, <clears throat> QE is the qualitative, qualitative easing. Qualitative quantitative. Easing. Yeah. And, and what is that? That's just uh, pumping more mm-hmm. money into the system. So, um, taking a look at some of the uh, indicators of how our economy is doing right now, which should affect the Fed makes their decision, but who knows what you know, if they're looking at their fake unemployment numbers and fake inflation numbers, <laughs> but uh, down quite a bit, and it's uh, reached the 2008 levels. This was uh, a big crash back then, and of course, OPEC decided not to reduce production. So that's not going to help at all, and that that's been uh, around all the commodities. They seem to be crashing and. They're all down to 16-year lows. Now, the commodity index tracks stuff like energy, metals, and agriculture. So this is even lower than the 2008 market crash. So that's another thing that's not pointing to something very positive. There's also something called the ISM index, which is the Institute of Supply Management, and it measures the economic state of the U.S. business sector. And they set out, Letters to you know every month to the major businesses and ask them questions about their production levels, orders planned, inventory levels, player deliveries, and employment situation. And it's come back as uh, below 50. 50 is considered neutral. Anything above 50, it's a growing economy. But if it's below 50, that means things are slowing down. So this is the <clears throat> first time this has happened. In, uh, since 2008, we also have something called the velocity of money. Now, in a healthy economy, um, you have money flowing freely. You know, for example, I buy something from you, then you go buy something from someone else, et cetera, et cetera. It keeps money flowing. But when the economy gets tough, then people start to hold on to their money. So when velocity of money drops, so that means things are slowing down. So right now, 
um, the velocity of money has dropped considerably. Normally, during a recession, it drops, but then after a recession, it picks back up. After the 2008 recession, it picked up just a little bit and then just kept going down, down, down. And, and it's now at record levels. We haven't seen this in decades. Record lows. Record lows of, of velocity. The velocity of money is not moving, getting stuck. People are not releasing it. Or they don't have it. Or that could be, yeah. too. <laughs> and uh, another big indicator that's uh, usually a leading leading indicator of what's going to happen in the stock market is the bond market. Now, junk bonds are uh, yields on the riskiest uh, bonds from uh, risky investments in businesses. They, uh, they're high yield because they demand a greater risk of them going into default or going bust. But they are people who like to gamble. They're real fun to try because you can hit it big and you know, get a big return on something. Um, yields on these bonds are continuing to go up to the 2008 levels. And yields going up means the interest is going up. That means the risk is getting higher. And so it's getting more and more. Now, when, whenever you see this kind of a signal, it, it's a precursor to maybe three to four, six months down the road where the whole stock market start falling down. So there's a lot of, uh, you'll see a lot of, uh, talk about the junk bond market all of a sudden coming on people's radar. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> there may be trouble ahead. <clears throat> so it kind of makes you wonder when you see all this stuff going on and with the Fed's big decision, what might happen if you decide to raise rates. It seems like everything's pretty much in a mess. And we've seen this kind of thing happen back in 1936-37, pre-World War II. Um, uh, they had a similar situation where in '36 the stock market was uh, recovering from a big crash it had, and it got to a, to where the Feds decided to raise rates, and they did it three times again in March of '37 and then in May of '37, and all of a sudden the market stopped going up. The velocity of money went way way down. <clears throat> money supply dropped. Um, and it's interesting at the time that France and Switzerland didn't go along with that. They actually loosened up their monetary policy, which you see happening right now. You've got Junker with the EU loosening up their monetary policy while the U.S. is thinking about further tightening. Because they stopped QE a while back, the U.S. So now they're trying to decide, oh, now do we make it even stronger to tighten or stay the same or actually loosen up. So after their third rate hike back then, the market dropped big time, <laughs> lost 50% of its value. And so they had to reverse their decision of raising rates and go back to dropping. And that helped the market a little bit. It just slowly drifted up, but it didn't take um, – it took World War II to finally get the market to come up after a decade later – to get back to those levels that it was before it dropped. Kind of, uh, I just thought it'd be kind of interesting that you know, 
we might see some bit of history being replayed here. Now, when you know, when we look at these forces that are kind of behind, um, you know, the the movement of you know, economic systems, uh, some of them, you know, it seems, can be manipulated, and others uh, are a valid marker of, you know, where where things are at. Um, when you're talking about the commodities and oil, um, you know, would you say that the uh, the oil, for example, that, that is being suppressed on purpose, uh, intentionally. Uh, that, was, that was one of the things I was speculating about, uh, particularly with uh, the United States um, and you know their intent on causing Russia harm, and that that can have an influence on. Uh, well, they're also saying that Saudi Arabia was doing that to right. bring damage to the U.S. shale market. Oh. So it's hard to say. You know, it's there's some orchestrated, you know, party that's trying to really suppress oil prices, um, but it's affecting. And China's being blamed for a lot of this deflationary cycle because they're slowing down. They're not consuming as much of these, these raw materials that they were before, so they're being blamed for some of that. And uh, it's just, uh, it seems to be a natural thing, a way of things. When you get so much debt, you just get so saturated in it that you just can't grow anymore without growing more debt, but then the Pied Piper has come because you have to pay these debts back eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of speculation online and, you know, in um, alternative communities that 2015 would be the year that, uh, you know, the United States saw the economy, you know, go kaput for, uh, for real this time. And, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of these signs continually so I'm guessing one I'm wondering, you know, uh, um what was it that happened that caused us not to basically go into complete collapse. It, it's a slow process. It's not mm-hmm. something that just, you know, the bottom just falls out there. It's just it's just gradually going down. The deflationary pressure is just increasing, 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 increasing. So eventually you know, the stock market has catched up when it sees that <clears throat> sees that the junk markets are way high, and it, it, it doesn't make sense for the S and P to be also way high. It's the way there's, there's a disconnect there. Usually, they track very closely together. Now there's a big wide difference. So, and when you're in such a fragile situation, any kind of external force can really bring it all down real quickly. Mm-hmm. So we're just kind of waiting for that external factor, I guess, to really set things off. Well, that'll be interesting to see, you know, what what those things are. Um, you know, I, I I certainly was kind of expecting things to go clearly a long time ago, and yeah. it's yeah. amazing to see you know, just how many um, manipulative practices that you know, the, the U.S. can engage in to keep things float. But, you know, really sooner or later, yeah, the Pied Piper is going to call coming. So, you know. Be- yeah, it's not musical chairs, but the currency wars. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's trying to devalue their currency at the same time. It causes others to maybe go up or go down. And so you have this fight in this music. Eventually, the music's going to stop and everyone's trying to find a chair. <laughs> not everyone's going to get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the other thing is that just uh, it's just amazing is that you know, as you were recalling, William, 
it's not just one or two or three different sectors that are showing these signs of trouble. It's global. It, it's it's global, and uh, and all of these factors are huge in and of themselves, and they're all happening at the same time. Right. They're all uh, the situation is so tenuous, and in every in every market, in, in every uh, in every part of uh, the world economic scene. Um, I did just want to get back for a moment to something you mentioned about the Fed raising interest rates. Uh, and, you know, that we've talked about this a little bit before. There's the speculation, you know, they, they will, if they don't raise interest rates, they lose credibility as, as, a, as this institution because uh, um, they kept interest rates artificially low at zero for the past, what, six or seven or eight years. And, uh, you know, um, it makes them look indecisive. Like mm-hmm. They they can't can't lower anymore. It's mm-hmm. already down, so they can either keep them the same or raise them. And it's like the market's looking like, well, if you don't raise rates, that means things aren't looking as good as we would like. <laughs> and it makes the Fed look like they're not doing their job because they're supposed to make everything better. You know? <laughs> right. And and if they leave it at zero, um, there was some speculation. If they don't raise the interest rates, in other words, there was some speculation that that, that would cause certain things to occur. Uh, the the bottom to fall out in the stock market, or it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say how things will react to the kind of a decision. Okay. Well, I, I think the takeaway here is that we're in uncharted territory. Is <laughs> yeah. At, at least to the level that uh, that all of this is pointing to, um, you know, with, with the huge examples uh, that that we've been looking at that have never been resolved since the 2008 recession, apparently. Um, There's it, always a new bubble. Bubble, bubble, pop, bubble. Well, they, yeah, they manufacture those things, and you know, um, they're, they're desperately trying to re. Redo the housing bubble again. I mean, they're offering these poppy loans or puppy loans, what they call them. You get two million dollar loan with no money down. You don't need EMI insurance. <laughs> they're trying to make it as easy as they possibly can to get people into debt. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the important thing to really recognize is that. Uh, there's there's really very little that the people who were uh, in positions to um, change the laws and, and make investments uh, more um, risk averse, uh, and obviously there, there's this high level of manipulation. All of that's just continued, and uh, and it it looks like we'll need to pay close attention because. Um, it's quite possible, as many people have been predicting, that uh, you know the U.S. and and perhaps other nations tied to the dollar are going to experience some kind of hyperinflation when all of this money that's been pumped into the system by quantitative easing, easing uh, loses its value. So um, something to think about. Um, some people have recommended investing. Their money in food, in supplies, in uh, precious metals, in 
in, in anything that would help you to get through an extended period of time where acquiring resources uh, using cash would become a very difficult thing. And we've discussed that here um, with Fernando Aguirre, a.k.a. Fall and his Surviving Argentina blog. Uh, if, if any of you haven't yet listened to his experiences there, um, by all means, go into the archives and have a listen. Uh, Michael Snyder's been on the show. He, he's, uh, he's pointed to a lot of these things as well. He writes about it all the time. Yeah, the, the red flags are there. They've been there, and they just keep screaming louder and louder. Time to really pay attention. All right, guys, we got a caller. We've got Stephen on the line from Florida. So, Stephen, yeah. are you there? Yes. Can you guys hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes. Okay. Hi, Stephen. Hey, okay, Stephen. Excellent. Yeah. Ex- excellent. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make a, some comments about this economy because um, I've never been astute as far as uh, equities, bonds. You know all of that uh, the the jargon that goes into uh, the discussion of the economy among the uh, the competent uh, experts. But um, one thing that's uh, so, so I I approach this whole issue of the economy on a very uh, neophyte, unsophisticated um, level, and um, I've listened to so many commentators, uh, thinkers, people that have written books. Um, and for me, it really comes down to something very kind of elemental. Um, it comes down to, like, what is the value of uh, what is money? Um, so I ask myself that in the in the context of just the philosophical question of what is money. And um, and here's what here's what I've come and, and I'm a, I'm a business owner as well. But um, you know, just having think, thought about the issue really deeply. I come down to this uh, analysis of money. What is the problem with money? And to me, having thought about it, racked my brain, read a lot about it, I came to a conclusion that nobody else has ever really mentioned or put it in the terms that I, I have just for my own um, kind of my, my own basic uh, configuring of this issue, this phenomena. And it comes down to the problem with money is this. You have quantity, which is the numbers, one, two, three, four, five, and you have these formulas that people develop, and these formulas are based on patterns that people perceive. Okay, so the problem with patterns that people perceive in our, in our lives is that every pattern that you perceive is going to be colored by your own biases and fears in your culture. So um, you have quantity, and then on the other, other part of the ledger, you have quality, which has to do with ethics, which has to do with beauty, how we conceive something that's elegant and beautiful and good, and all of those assignations that come to bear on how we interpret the the unfolding dynamic of events. So you have these two elements of money, quality and quantity, that are that are that are separated. They they cannot be. Um, they are not um, suffused together. They are not. They are not brought together into a um, the dynamic in ways through which we can improve our lives and, and live valuable lives 
that are congruent with our ethics and we can deal with problems like uh, how we pollute the environment, exploitation, etc. And I know that sounds kind of abstract, but when you really think about it on the on the phenomena of money and how it impacts our lives and what is money and all of that, it's really not abstract. It's really something that's very um, tactile. It's something that we experience our everyday lives through this contradiction, this this uh, this this separation of quantity and quality. So, for example, if I am if I have a loan that I have to repay, and I do some work, like say I, I do work in the environment in the forest, um, if I have to repay a certain amount. And it's, that's an instrumental dynamic that's developed. I have to go ahead and cut down so many trees just so I can make my payment to the bank. And any kind of uh, environmental rules, regulations, you know, whether or not the tree, there's a squirrel nest in the tree, all of that has to go out the window because I need to actualize a certain amount of quantity just to remain viable in our economic system. And so I just wanted to to go ahead and throw that out there, just on the on, just just you know, so you guys can understand where I'm coming from when it when it comes to the subject of of the economy and money. That now does does what I say make sense? Yeah, I, I think so, Stephen. Um, you know, when we when we look at just the structure of you know, business and and government and you know how they interrelate. Yeah, I think it's uh, imposed a very uncreative uh, process on people. You know, it's taken that uh, curiosity and you know that just the desire to be um, creative and uh, and you know being able to tap into that. It's, it sucked that out of people really. So I think that might relate in a sense to you know the quality um, of of the lives that we live and. And just how that's missing, and and you know, it, when people go to work, um, you know, it's 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 horrible to hear the stories of, you know, just basically being a part of the rat race, and you know that it's it's a it's a very destructive system that we live in, and you know, it's just basically feeding into that system, and it's not it's not sustainable. Um, so I think in that sense, you know, when we when we talk about these things, we can see just the overall uh dynamic uh of of the situation that it's it's ultimately one that will uh that you know has no other um means but to collapse at some point um and relating to the the uh qua- uh quantity uh issue you know it's like uh one William was talking about uh you know just the uh, how the fed you know is basically we've pumped so much money into the system and you know there is going to be uh this correction as they call it at some point where the the value of the money you know meets uh the all the money that that they've pumped into there which it, it's going to like cancel it out so yeah, you know yeah. it's uh, and, and, and here's money where, is and, a confidence would... game money is yeah, a confidence game when when people start losing confidence in the money that's when you see these big collapses occur. The, the other yeah. thing I, I would just add to what uh, Shane and William just said is that uh, it seems that so much of our economy is based on speculation. Uh, you know, you, you you read so much about 
how similar the stock market and, and other markets are this uh, this kind of legitimized form of uh, of gambling. It's a big casino, and um, and people want to own. They want to uh, take advantage of um, or kind of profit from the hard work and and uh, creative ideas of others. Uh, and it's yeah, you know, it's just speculation. It's not they're, they're the impetus, as you were alluding to before, Shane, to create. Uh, um, has been uh, has been driven out of people. I think. Is hey, Stephen and for and for yes, all of yes, those yes. who don't who want to know more about what money is, there's a great uh, short video called "Money as Debt," and that'll get you up to speed to how this uh, money situation got how this money situation got started. And how the banking industry had taken advantage of loans, and how that creates money. It's very informative. Yeah, can get, yes. really, and, get you up to and, speed. And here's where, and here's what I wanted to say um, as an afterthought. I, I believe that also, you know, this uh, this contradiction between quantity, you know, the numbers and um, our ethics and our values and all of that. This is um, this is also like reflects the uh, the nature. You know what what it is to be human, um, as a as opposed to separate from nature. You know, so this is not disconnected from that core contradiction of human society um, as we conceive it in an abstraction as being different from and outside of nature, which is uh, I believe at the root of our ecological crisis that that type of uh, that type of um, you know, contradiction, that binary contradiction. But anyway, uh, uh, bringing back this whole notion of money to where we're at now, um, so I've been fascinated with um, how does the United States, how is it able to spend hundreds of billions, or now it's probably trillions every year, more than we produce in what is quantifiable value? And then that ties into the notion of where we've come to as a fiat currency. In other words, we have currency that's not tied to anything that's tangible. And for thousands of years, gold and silver were things that are tangible, that that can survive. You can sink it to the bottom of the sea. The weight will be the same in 500 years when you pull that amount of gold up as when you dropped it in the bottom of the sea. So, in other words, um, throughout our history as humans, we we always use this precious metal as a gauge for our current our currency. To where there, if you're going to produce a certain amount of currency, that has to have a correlation to the amount of gold reserves that within any government, any regime, and any uh, demarking demarking and backing any particular currency. So where we're at now, and going back to this notion that you guys took out there about confidence, um, from what I can see, this is what they call fiat currency that you can just totally, the United States can totally print out a billion dollars, you know, at a a push of a button. They can print a billion dollars of currency, and um, they're able to do that because they are the superpower 
and wealthy elites, governments, corporations buy the U.S. currency because we're the superpower and this is a um, – if, if people's – the value of what they have as wealth is invested into this currency of the U.S. dollar, you know, this – because we are the, uh, the, the mightiest economy, we're the, uh, the financial capital, you know, as far as like the big, huge financial conglomerates, you know, the biggest military, all of that. So that's what – from what I can see – that confidence in the U.S. dollar as a as a um, reserve for value, um, you know, is has been the the norm, and is tied with petrol, the sale of uh, oil, and it's been that way for decades. You know, since the uh, they took the, you know, what they call the Bretton Woods in the in the early 70s. So anyway, what I'm asking myself is this: this definitely cannot sustain because there's nothing that backs the U.S. dollar as far as any precious metal that stays constant that you can measure. And and the other thing that I wanted to mention, I think it's very important, is that the United States and the, what they call the bullion banks, and, and that's also the COMEX, which is they trade precious metals through the COMEX, um, they have been purchasing um, gold futures, in other words, just paper contracts having to do with the value of gold that are not backed by any actual gold delivered to anybody. And so what the bullion banks do is they buy up huge quantities of these paper contracts, and that has the result is is it depresses the, the rise of the price of gold on the international global market uh, because of these huge purchases. And a lot of times these purchases are done at odd hours. Um, so these are huge institutional purchases of paper contracts that are called naked shorts. In other words, they don't have the, uh, the gold to back up their, their hedges or their bets. And the contracts are settled in cash. So this has been a phenomena that's been going on because there's a demand for physical gold and the price of physical of the price of gold does not go up which is totally contrary to the supply and demand theory scenario and um, mm -hmm. the other thing you know, so anyway it sounds kind of abstract but it's actually a phenomenon that's been going on for years since 2011 with huge purchases of these paper contracts that, and, that, and the intention is this, the rationale is this. They don't want the price of gold to appreciate considerably or markedly with respect to the dollar because then people would look at that differential and they would see that gold has went up 25%, but the dollars remain constant, and then people would lose faith in the dollar. So there's huge... Um, from what I can tell is there's huge manipulations going on in the Dow Jones Industrial Average through um, a computerized program where they buy whenever the market is starting to slump. There's intervention to buy huge amounts of stocks. It's called the Plunge Protection Team, and that keeps the Dow Jones from sinking uh, 
you know, you know, from people to lose confidence and panic. And this is a computer-generated algorithm that's behind that. So the stock market is actually manipulated and false. The gold market, the price of gold and silver, are manipulated on a huge industrial scale to depress the, price, the, the rise of the price of this precious metal with respect to the dollar. And um, at the same time, all of this has been going on for years, on all of these manipulations, the, the Russians and the Chinese have been hoarding and purchasing huge reserves, tons of gold, and they're and they're they're hoarding it. They're keeping it back. And what the what the what a lot of people are saying is that Stephen, if you could just it, if you could just wrap up this uh, this one last point. Okay. And, yeah. And my, well, my last point is that. Yeah, my last point is this, and I know it sounds kind of abstract, but I think all of those elements are pertinent. But point is this. China is developing itself for the renminbi, um, having a gold-backed currency. So as people lose faith in the dollar, there's going to be people that are big institutional uh, international players that start buying some of this renminbi as an alternative currency to the dollar. And that's how the that's how the crisis is going to unfold. When people lose faith in the dollar, the Chinese have already developed a means through which people can take their wealth and invest it in Chinese currency that has some gold backing. And that's how it's going to play out in the future. And um, this reality is also um, touches upon and is connected to what's happening in Syria with Saudi Arabia with the United States doing all of this stuff, you know, to uh, contain China and all of that. So anyway, this is what I've been paying attention to, and I'm not an expert, but um, what I can say is that it does seem logical that all currencies need to have something that back the currency or else it's just manipulated fiat currency, and um, is, which is exactly what they've developed in the United States. And um, so, anyway, I think that we're on the of a, a financial meltdown, and it's also connected to how everything plays out in Syria and all of that. So it's pretty frightening times. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that, as far as um, you know, what I've been studying and, and what I can ascertain, and just throw that out there. And I appreciate it. Y'all, y'all take care. Bye bye. You too. Right. Thanks for your thoughts, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah. Before that, that scenario comes up where you go back to currencies or whatever, or some basket, uh, if the dollar really loses, starts to lose confidence in the future dollar, you just might see a war break out before you know any of this other stuff pans out. This this other stuff might be planned for after a war or something like that, but there's going to be a lot of turmoil that's going to, it's going to come crashing down on our heads. Well, that's what the U.S. economy is pretty much based on, right, is is war. It's a war-based economy, and we're completely reliant on it. And that's, I think, largely what's um, helped prop up uh, our economy for so long, you know, for the past decade anyway, uh, is just this continual, um, you know, these continual invasions. And even, um, you know, not overt wars, but more covert economic wars, Um and I think that the the situation in Syria uh, is is I think Stephen's right that you know that that 
has a major uh, role because there is a shift there with basically stopping the the U.S. war machine. Um, so you know we'll, we'll see what the uh, how how things play out uh, in in relationship to that. Um, but yeah, I think that 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 is a uh, an apt um, or an, uh, an influential piece of the puzzle. Anyway. Yeah, let's see how desperate the psychopaths mm-hmm. get. Right. Right, and I think that when you look at the the finance system, uh, you just have to keep in mind that it's part of the same system, this uh, pathological system, and there's no law and order there. Just like there's no law and order on the streets anymore, there's it's pretty much a winner takes all, and the pathological people they can pull whatever manipulations, whatever strings they want. They can manipulate the price of gold. They can crash an economy. They can go to Congress and hold a gun to their head and say, well, t- you know, crash the economy if you don't give us uh, bailouts. And so this is a new uh, model that we're that we're living in. And I can see why they wouldn't want it to crash right away since that's basically how they're stealing um, the Treasury and propping up their own little uh, pathological paradise up there. Well, it's interesting. Max Kaiser, the RT uh, uh, economic uh, commentator, um, has described a lot of uh, the types of things you mentioned, Corey, as um, weapons of uh, financial destruction or financial terrorism. Um, uh, Using these tools, uh, these economic tools, um, and we've seen it in Greece in this past year as well, uh, to uh, really... um, politically punish uh, economies, uh, nations, uh, or the economies of nations. Um, So yes, there are all levels of uh, manipulation, uh, levers, buttons that can be pushed and pulled uh, to create the desired effect. Um, And uh, on the note of terrorism, I think that'll bring us to the theme of today's show, which is uh, terrorism in the USA. And uh, lately, uh, especially with the uh, shootings in San Bernardino, California, of about a week and week and a half ago, uh, and a lot of other events, um, we're seeing a lot of a lot of reaction, a lot of response, a lot of um, a lot of uh, pundits in the media, and people coming out and saying certain things, and uh, there's a lot of tumult on on top of an economy that's uh, suffering and, and people who are not making enough money to sustain themselves. Um, all of this doesn't bode well at all, but uh, we thought we'd deconstruct some uh, some recent events. In particular, uh, if we can start off with the San Bernardino shootings, uh, yet another uh, mass shooting attributed to a... Uh, you know, an alleged, um, you know, jihadi, uh, ISIS-aligned uh, individual, um, and the facts are not all that all that they appear to be. Um, Corey, did you want to give us a rundown of of some of the most interesting parts of that story? Well, yeah, I know the first thing that really uh, stuck out to me you know, after analyzing the the case somewhat and noticing all the obviously starkly. Uh, the stark contrast between the official version and the version that the eyewitnesses shared was something that um, that you think you know that was kind of counterintuitive 
and that was that the employees, because of these all these active shooter drills, that you think you know you're told that this is supposed to be preparing you for these kinds of attacks. None of the employees at the center were um, were aware that an attack was going on because of how often they'd been drilled, mm-hmm. and so you know right off the bat there you have this huge epic fail of the counterterrorism industry. Um, so so in other words, when when people came into this uh, this uh, building uh, and they heard the shooting. They had so often, they were so conditioned already and so used to these active shooter drills on the part of you know local uh, police forces that they dismissed it as one of those, basically. Yeah, just another day at work yeah. with a shooter coming in. I mean, how, and that's pretty, you know, it just shows how conditioned we are to that kind of craziness and that kind of level of violence. But um, so essentially, what uh, the official version was that two radicalized, uh, a radicalized, a Muslim couple came into this um, this uh, inland regional center in San Bernardino, California, and uh, you know the, what they said was that the one gentleman was upset because where he left a Christmas party upset, and he came back and with his wife and his 90-pound wife, and they decided they were going to shoot the place up. Um, but what eyewitnesses have said is that three white gunmen showed up into the into the the building and opened fire. Three white gunmen in their fatigues and armed to the teeth came in, never said a word, fired about 75 rounds into the group, and paused only to reload their weapons. So this was just, you know, several of them said that they had no idea that an attack was going on, but then in the aftermath, you know, all of a sudden you see the official narrative step in and say that, well, actually... It was this man, uh, I believe his name was Farouk, and his wife Malik were, had come in and shot up the place. And in reality, they had, were found outside, um, handcuffed. So, you know, just this whole entire scene, I mean, it's just beyond what anyone could possibly imagine, the kind of carnage, the level of, the level of carnage that took place. But... The immediately afterwards, the the media was allowed into these this couple's apartment. They were allowed into the apartment, and they ruffled through everything to begin, um, you know, to do the media investigation essentially because there is no law and order in the United States anymore. The legal system is essentially useless, thanks to years of counterterrorism legislation, years of trial by media, years of the police just shooting whoever they want to, and so the legal system. It, you know, there was no need for an investigation because immediately they already knew these people were responsible. So they went in, and the media contaminated the whole scene, and and then um, basically, you know, it was broadcast as uh, an ISIS terror attack. The FBI was beginning to look at it as an ISIS terror attack, and you know, no need for an investigation. It says uh, in the Daily News, there's a headline that says uh, he's a terrorist. You know, he's a terrorist, and that's the kind of narrative that uh, that we jumped on, and that has you know fanned the flames of another rise in the fear of of Muslim extremism, which now I believe the latest numbers are somewhere around 76 percent or so of of people are convinced another ISIS attack is is coming up around the around the bend in the next couple of months. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of a 
just an overview of of that situation. And so you mentioned that um, you know so the official narrative is quite different from what witnesses on the ground saw. Uh, there was at least one uh, woman who went on the news to say that she saw three tall, uh, muscular, white uh, shooters clad in black, um, military style, uh, which harkens back to the descriptions of the guys that we saw in the Paris shootings witnessed by some, you know, these muscular, strong soldier types, also tall, uh, you know, acting like commandos, basically, very well trained. Um, you know, she goes on TV to say this, and, and of course, you know, you hear about it, uh, this discrepancy in the alternative media, uh, but, but where is that piece of the narrative in the major media? It, right. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get that information, and that's very important information to have. I mean, if you're constructing a worldview, and, I mean, this is what they're feeding you is this fear uh, of something that uh, a decade and a half ago was was a threat. Sure, terrorism was a threat 15 years ago, um, but it wasn't a huge threat. It was a rare threat. You were more likely to die of electrocution. You were more likely to be killed by a cop. You're, and still, still, you're still more likely to be killed by a cop. Um, but people are not able to think critically because of how afraid they are and because they're just eating up all these details uh, this official version that, I mean, if you were thinking, the very first thought w- that would come to my mind would be, how do they know exactly what happened while they're investigating it? Why is anybody investigating it when they already know that he's a terrorist and he did it? Um, you know, and why, and I, I believe a lot of these witnesses must be questioning their own sanity because here's the official news, here's a Barack Obama on the news, and you know, making comments about Islam and, you know, and Muslims and this terrorist attack. And, and yet they're saying, no, it's these white gunmen. Why aren't you listening to us? You know, they, that one woman came out and said it. They had another witness come out and say, no, this white gunman carried out this attack. That doesn't fit into your narrative at all. Why, if, why not investigate that unless you had uh, a motive? And, of course, even, uh, even the attorney for the family of, of the of the two, you know, was expressing befuddlement in a press conference. I mean, there was absolutely nothing in in the history of of these two uh, who that uh, even hinted at any kind of uh, jihadi leanings. The the um, the husband was making eighty thousand dollars a year, you know, a very comfortable living by the standards of uh, San Bernardino, California. Uh, he liked to fix cars. He you know he played with his with his baby, he came home, he worked. Uh, the only thing that can be pinned on them was that they were Islamic. Exactly. And, and so that seems to be uh, all that's needed these days to, uh, to kind of paint this, this picture of, of all you know, Muslims as demonic or uh, out for jihad. And, um, you know... <laughs> On, on the subject of the likelihood of of being um, falling victim to this type of event, uh, there were some interesting numbers. Um, statistics show that you are seventeen thousand six hundred times more likely to die from heart disease 
than from a, from a terrorist attack. You are 11,000 times more likely to die from an airplane accident than from a terrorist plot involving an airplane. You are 1,048 times more likely to die from a car accident than a terrorist attack. You are 404 times more likely to die in a fall than from a terrorist attack. And you are 12 times more likely to die from accidental suffocating in bed than from a terrorist attack. Lastly, you are nine times more likely to choke to death in your own body and die in a terrorist attack. But they don't serve the agenda. No. They can't keep people fighting against each other if you state statistics like that. So you have to have events like this Bernardando shooting to bring it home to people. They are here. They are a threat. We've got to protect us. We got to protect ourselves. It's a uh, and it's doing a good job. I just saw a YouGov poll, and it's talking about fifty-eight uh, percent of Americans have unfavorable opinion of uh, Muslims now. <clears throat> Republicans being, of course, the worst. And it's interesting the age difference. Um, it came out to about 45% if you're under age 30, but if you're over age 65, there are 65% of Americans were unfavorable against Muslims. But what's also interesting to note, 52% of the Americans don't understand Islam and don't know more about it. <laughs> well, they, they learned everything they need to know, you know, Mainstream news on 9/11. Isn't that what that is? Well, you know, it's it's just remarkable to you know look back and just in the the I mean all these mass shootings. 2015. Um, I think there was a this generator on Reddit or you know one of those social media sites, and 2015 saw a mass shooting every single day, an average of one every single day. And you know this uh, this latest one uh, in California, you know the the narrative has changed to you know focus on well it's a terrorist attack. Uh, around the same time, you know we saw the um, the Colorado shootings of this uh, crazed you know white dude who who shot up a, a Planned Parenthood, and you know he was just that lone wolf crazy crazy guy. But, you know, but since there's Muslims involved in this, supposedly, you know, uh, obviously not, um, but, you know, that, that turns it into this ISIS threat. So ISIS has come to America. And, you know, this is right on the heels of um, some major things going on in in Syria uh, with, with Russia. You know, I, I think it was the um, previous day that Russia came out with uh, the... Uh, the information, the evidence that Turkey uh, was involved in the smuggling with the oil trade with ISIS. And, you know, we see these things over and over again um, when when Russia first got involved in, in Syria. Uh, you know, the, the media went silent for, for several days and all of a sudden there was the, uh, the mass shooting in, I believe it was uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, but anyway, it, 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 you know, things pop up at these opportune moments, and people are, you know, just uh, were, you know, I, I, one of the first mass shootings that that I can remember, you know, it was the um, the Columbine shooting, 1999, 
And um, you know, when when that happened, it was such a huge event. Um, you know, it, people saw the important nature of it, and you know, were really shocked by it. And you know, especially since you know it involved children, and these things are happening every day now. You know, it's 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 um, just a matter of course that 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 they're happening, and um, it's you know, we have entered into you know it's like this uh, alternate reality, and in people's minds. You know, I, I have to wonder. You know, how do do people recognize? that this isn't normal? Do people um, sense that something is really, really off here? And, you know, I I, I tend to think people probably do have some sense of uneasiness, but are probably just directed to to think about things in terms of the answers that they're provided. And, um, you know, by perpetrators, really. You know? And... Um, as long as that happens, you know, we're just going to continue on this, uh, in this, this downward spiral and, um, yeah, you know, I don't, it's, it's a scary thought where, where it's leading, um, because we are, we are seeing this, this rhetoric, um, that is, you know, as overt as, you know, the, um, the propaganda, uh, that Nazi Germany uh, was putting out there, uh, you know, in, in the forties and the thirties, and you know, it it is getting very scary. Um, you have these voices who are saying, "No, you know, no Muslims. Uh, we we shouldn't um, have any Muslims uh, allowed to come into the country." Uh, Trump just uh, came out and said that, and you know, it's uh, on on one hand you have people decrying, you know, his, uh, this mindset. Um, but on the other, you know, there, he, he is speaking for a population that is no longer afraid of saying such things. And, and there is, he's tapping into, uh, this energy that is really, you know, starting to manifest and, you know, where is this going to lead um, both in the United States and and the West at large, um, you know, after uh, the the Paris attacks, you know, you saw a lot of these same things um, being said in Europe, and you know, it's a it's an es- it's certainly an escalation, and you know, it's it's like things it's it was it's remarkable to look at these past three months. And just see the escalation of uh, just the insanity. Um, you know, it's like every day or every week, at least, there's some huge, major, major event. Um, and it's just coming so rapid fire. And, you know, uh, I, I, I do wonder, you know, what what is going on in, in people's minds and in, in the masses uh, in response to all these things, you know, is, are people just like shutting down uh, and just uh, continuing to, you know, uh, shop for the holidays? Or you know? apparently not, because the holiday shopping is not as robust as they um, would like it to be. <clears throat> yeah, I I think that everyone is. I think a lot of people are tremendously confused. 
know, even if they don't necessarily know what they are. But after all of these years um, of all this increasing economic and political stress and this division, I mean, it, it really it really looks a lot like, you know, Pavlov's dog experiments uh, where he, you know, imp- would stress out his dogs and just to see how they would react and change. And their personalities would change fundamentally, um, you know, just through phase after phase. I can't remember all the phases exactly, but I know that one of the first phases was that when the dogs were stressed, they would um, react about the the same to, you know, low intensity as uh, stimuli as they would to high intensity stimuli. And then the next phase, it would be they would react more to low intensity stimuli, more like dumb things than they would to really important things because they were st- it was like their brain system was still trying to protect them from this inc- this huge bombardment of information that they couldn't handle but the little stuff would just light them up because you know hey that's not too bad you know i can handle that but then in one of the final phases of the transmarginal inhibition was where it would flip completely and the dog would begin liking a person that he previously hated and loving or yeah or well, liking a person he previously hated and hating you know, his master. And so eventually his personality changed completely into almost kind of like what we're seeing now, just through implementing constant shocks. And in that case, it was a tremendous shock. I believe that his dogs were locked in the basement and it flooded. And then the dogs, you know, were panicked for their lives. And when they were done, after the flood, quote unquote, they were changed. And, you know, I just can't help but see the, you see, we've seen that happen in the U.S. since 2001, I mean, like, uh, you know, we had the the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and immediately, you know, the world had all this grief for America, and we had this grief for one another. And then, you know, immediately the fear mongers came out and started just rushing through legislation after legislation, and, you know, then we went to war with Afghanistan, and then pretty soon there was... For some reason, we're invading Iraq, and then, you know, there's all of these uh, mudslinging, you know, between the Bush and the Democrats and Republicans. Things started getting really divisive, and, you know, they passed the Patriot Act in 2001, and, you know, that was around the time that the NSA came out saying, we're collecting all of your information. They didn't come out necessarily say that, but they started using it for that. Then in 2002, they passed the Homeland Security Act, and that was... uh, so that they could coordinate their terrorism data centers and, you know, they could coordinate all this disaster relief. And then they passed the Safety Act so that they could help people become um, more accustomed to having their information monitored by uh, corporations and they, you know, that provided liability protections. Then they passed the Real ID Act and the Passport Revocation Act and Border Protection Act, the Freedom Act, and in 2006, they passed the Military Commissions Act, which gave the president the ability to designate enemy combatants and set definitions for torture. And, you know, all along this time, we're, there's reports coming out about, you know, about torture, about what's going on, this, but people are still kind of able to live in their own little bubble. And then there was Hurricane Katrina, you know, and then, I mean, another huge shock to the system. And I mean, I just you just have to wonder, like what, like how did you know we didn't have anybody in the media really giving us accurate information? We were never really processing any of this as it came up. It just kept hitting us in the face. 
over and over again. And, you know, then, you know, that leads us up to, you know, like the NDAA, which allowed for the military to indefinitely detain citizens so now they can torture people. The, the president can define what torture is. They can indefinitely detain people. They can, the military can do trials for people. Um, and, you know, they've made it legal to monitor every, you know, just monitor everybody's information. And, you know, it's, it's like John Whitehead said, it's like an electronic um, concentration camp, I believe is the term he used, probably just to shock people into realizing the kind of situation that had crept up on on us. Because when I look back on that, I'm just, I'm shocked to see it, but just how quickly it seemed like all of this just like dominoes, boom, and here we are in this reality. And like, like you said, Shane, it's just, it's extraordinarily terrifying. Well, it's... um. Yeah, it is. It is this like alternate reality, and um, you know all of these laws uh, that were passed. You know, it, it's it's this incremental uh, thing in response to um, you know these these acts that more often than not are perpetrated by the U.S. And you know the U.S. has has this policy of uh, isolating you know um, Russia or China, uh, but the thing is you know. Their success in isolating has been phenomenal in the American people. Um, none have been more isolated than you know it, it, than their own people. And you know it's uh, when you look at you know how um, just on a, a micro level um, when like pathological relationships, you know that's how the predator. Um, engages their victim is by isolating them. And um the United States just like you know, our whole history is one of isolation, of uh, separateness. And, you know, geographically we're isolated. Mentally, you know, we're, we're very isolated. Uh, you know, we think we're this uh extra we we have this idea um that um, of American exceptionalism, and really, you know, we're just exceptionally isolated, and um, you know, we're, we're it, it's it's this division that's put in people's minds of um, you know us against them, and you know I think it it just it's it's such a strong part of the American uh, mentality, and you know that that really you know will be um, I think the you know the thing that causes the final nail in the coffin um you know in a pathological relationship if you stay in that relationship um you know you you're, you're going that they, that person can kill you and um you know on a more macro level i i think uh that's certainly the the types of dynamics uh that that we're heading in the United States, you know, uh, has been lashing out, um, particularly over these past two years, uh, overseas. And, you know, if it gets to the point where it no longer is able to uh, lash out in, in foreign countries, you know, it, it has the structure that it's built, uh, you know, over this uh, past decade and more uh, to turn on um the American people, and and it already has, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it, it has been for you know it's it's when you look at these these uh, police shootings, mm -hmm. for example, um, you know it's it's straight out of uh, 
something from uh, you know a Nazi textbook, the Stasi. Well, before we get into the police shootings, because uh, there's quite a lit, uh, uh, quite a quite a lot of information to cover there as well. Um, you know, so we mentioned earlier that Trump has become something of a, a lightning rod for uh, for xenophobia, Islamophobia. Uh, one of his main points that he keeps hammer, hammering on is not allowing any Muslims into the U.S. Um, this has also been uh, supported by uh, Senator Ted Cruz, um, who's saying that uh, there must be a ban on Muslim but not Christian refugees from Syria, uh, as well as Governor Bobby Jindal, who had ordered uh, state police to cover mosques and to surveil them. Um, and then we're getting this kind of reaction in the media, this kind of pseudo, you know, progressive uh, humanitarian reaction uh, to Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, as some writers have been pointing out, it's complete bullshit. Uh, because in not questioning the war on terror, in supporting the narrative of uh, U.S. basically attacking uh, in these preemptive wars, uh, Iraq, Libya, Syria, uh, they're tacitly supporting uh, Islamophobia. They have made um, Islam the enemy of the West and basically speaking out of both sides of their mouth and, and you know, creating this, this veneer. Um, so it's really kind of interesting to see how um, both Trump and the media and even the so-called progressive um, politicians are basically supporting the same fascist agenda in in their own different separate ways. Well, the thing with Trump too, you know, I think um, you know he doesn't even need to be uh, president to be you know to become president in order to you know fulfill a role, and you know I think he is uh, filling that role of. Um, Basically, making this uh, this uh, fascist um, mentality, uh, bringing it into the mainstream, you know, and um, you know, one. Uh, so the thing that he said with um, uh, on Muslims recently was, uh, so he he called for a quote total and complete ban on Muslims entering the United States. And he attached with this also, you know, an interesting statement, which was to that um, the United States should consider closing the internet up in some way. Uh, apparently, children are watching the internet, and they want to be masterminds. So, you know, you have uh, oh, and yeah, he also went on to say, um, so the dopey clown internet must have been drunk. Holy hokey garbage, get smart. He didn't actually say that. That that was from a, a Trump insult generator from Mother Jones. But of course, you got to be fair when when Trump made that announcement that he thinks that we should close off all immigration of Muslims into the U.S. He did add that caveat that until the government can figure out what is our plan for these immigrants, 
you know, he's not just saying ban him, period. He's, he's, he gave that clause, and that seems to be omitted quite a bit in the headlines, if you just skim the headlines. But, you know, just unequivocally saying that is kind of disingenuous. He does mention that we do have to come up with some sort of a policy or idea. I mean, this has gone on throughout history. This is nothing new, and it's perfectly legal, as a matter of fact. Well, well, but that's how I mean. That's how these things develop and you know turn into something uh, more is from you know these 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 ideas you know being put out there and you know I I it's I think it's just gonna it's gonna escalate. Right, but I think the media is kind of spinning it more than what it really is. Well, I I think it's both. I think uh, so. Like you know, you had that comment from Trump the other week about taking out the families of the terrorists. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like a mafia kingpin guy saying, and if you don't do what I'm going to, what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to go after your, your mother and your wife and your sons and your daughters. I mean, that, you know, I think Danny DeVito has that scene. Kill them all. I want their families dead. I want their yeah. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. That was it. The Untouchables. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, don't get guys, me started. We've got, a, we've got a caller on the line. We've got uh, Lee from Rancho Cucamonga. So Lee, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Lee. I love that. I, here's what's funny. I was just thinking about that that scene from The Untouchables where De Niro's saying, "I want him dead." I want his family dead. I want his wife dead. You know, it's, anyways, we were simpatico there. Um, I want to thank you guys, number one, because I called you a while back, and you pointed out something to me that I researched afterwards. I don't want to get off topic, but I want to thank you because it had to do with the CIA annex in Libya and what went down in the compound and just the U.S.'s involvement with, uh, you know, supplying arms to uh, um, people against uh, Bashar uh, um, and what that did, and so forth. So that was really uh, good advice, and it gave me a whole d- different outlook on what was going on in Libya um, with that yeah, compound. Yeah, thank you. But the reason I called really quick, um, one of the things that is, I think, kind of resonating with factions of people that follow Trump is embedded in what he says, I think, is this kind of as he says, let's make America great again, this kind of um, vision he has, which people support, of a white America. You know, not a cosmopolitan cultural America, but sort of this white Christian uh, country that he seems to, I think, be pointing us to. And those that resonate with that don't see the just blatant... um, Ignorance and racism and discrimination that is part of his uh, fear-mongering um, speeches. Um, nothing he ever says has any real detailed um, descriptions of how he would do what he wants to do. And the mm-hmm. media, I think, has really failed. Of late, people like Chuck Todd and uh, others have been calling him uh, a little bit more on it, putting him on the spot. But if you ever notice, when he gets put on the spot about details, he gets really pissy and says, oh, I'm not going to answer that. And what leader is going to not answer questions because he or she doesn't want to answer questions? You're running for the flipping presidency of the, of the United States. You don't get to pick and choose what you want to talk about. So I want to get back to that 
the point I make, because I think that's really at the heart of what people like about him, is they feel like he's taking us to this, again, white, Protestant, uh, Caucasian country, and, you know, to hell with uh, letting people uh, come into our country, immigrants, immigration, just shut off the borders. And people have compared him to Le Pen in France, and there's a lot of striking parallels. So I wanted to know if, if that resonated with you guys as well, that uh, notion of what he's doing um, in appealing to uh, making America great again as a white Caucasian Christian nation. Well, you have you have all these sorts of movements, um, you know, popping up all over uh, all over the world. Um, you know, you have the uh, gray wolves in Turkey, and you know the the neo Nazis in Ukraine, and um, you know there's a, a fascist revival uh, movement in, in Japan. You know, it's it's really um, it's, it's it's emerging uh, all over all over the place, and. You know, you can see it. I think too with uh, with with Trump's ideology, and yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, that you have these, you know, these these nationalist type uh, figures uh, who you know rise in prominence, and uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you there. Well, I I finally allowed myself to watch a little bit of uh, Trump on the campaign trail the other day, Lee, <laughs> and uh, try to really get it out of you. You know the 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 decision not to play a clip from any of those speeches was a practical one. We were concerned that we might throw up all over our expensive microphone and and, and equipment here, uh, so we didn't we didn't play anything from him. But um, this is a guy who gets up in front of people. He's very authoritarian. Um, he tells people how he love loves loves them. Uh, he he talks about uh, all sorts of things, you know, and he he kind of uh, he's kind of a little bit uh, similar to Reagan in that way, in that he projects an image of uh, you know fatherly wisdom, and um, which which you know people who are not critically thinking about anything or most things. It just appeals to them, uh, and of course, he's got this reputation of being a successful businessman. And I won't even get into the number of uh, of of uh, things to suggest that uh, that the guy is never really on the level. He's basically right. a, a kind of a, a con artist in a way. Right. Um, so I think he has this kind of populist mass appeal. He appeals to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um unfortunately you know he's he's kind of struck a chord with a lot of people and i think um, that's absolutely correct go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt yes well that's basically it, it in a nutshell well, yeah if you want yeah. to win the elections you've got to go after the authoritarian followers they're the majority right. you've got to go after right. them. what does that say though this is what i don't think it's i i i, I think um it's not so much the words that come out of his mouth, it's the way he acts. And I think what people resonate with, like you characterize his kind of tough John Wayne kind of talk, that seems to strike a, a chord in, in people in the manner in which he talks. For somebody as 
you know, Ivy League educated because of dad probably. I think he went to the University of Penn. Um, he's not a very articulate speaker. <laughs> he talks in gross generalities. He never mm-hmm. really – I think, you know, obviously the guy has not lived a political life where he's been really uh, well-versed in what's going on. So it's sort of a cram session, I think, with what's been going on with him as he started his campaign. But um, – I think it's the way he talks. I think it's this, this, um, and I think he's extremely, by the way, very insecure. Uh, he's extremely immature, and um, mm-hmm. that scares me. That so many people, like you said, so well, it appear he appeals to the lowest common denominator in everybody who follows him. So people that are intelligent and articulate um, see right through it. Those that aren't critical thinkers and don't really um, think about what he's doing and can see through the act, um, that scares me that this guy is hovering still at 35%, 40%. And you got people mm-hmm. like Jeb Bush and others, and uh, coincidentally enough, the second person behind him now is Ted Cruz, who's like his mini-me. You know, Ted Cruz is like Trump's mini-me. So it's this, this GOP-led um, field is scary because uh, these guys are just straight out of uh, – you know, a, a manual on um, on on extremist teabagger uh, freedom caucus, uh, the freedom caucus movement, and that's the direction I think our country is headed in as far as the GOP is concerned. So that's that's concerning to me that so many people would blindly follow this nutcracker. You know, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know. That, well, that reminds me of something that George Carlin said: was uh, just think of how stupid the average American is. And then realize that the other half, that there's half of them are dumber than that. And I think that that's the base. That's his base. Yes. You're talking about irresponsible, uh, insecure, uh, frightened, and they, and he is like when you say he resonates with these people, it's like he's got a really good read on his audience, and he seems yes. harmless almost. He's like just yes. you know just a guy you could joke with. He's harmless. He's got your best interest at heart, you know, but it's. And that's what's probably the most frightening thing is that he gives that impression, while at the right. same time the things that he's saying are implying the probably the worst kind of future that you could imagine. Right. Well, he right. he encompasses a lot or many of the characteristics of a pathological individual, particularly the characteristics of psychopaths, which is right. that you know they have no doubt whatsoever. They don't have the capacity to question themselves. So there is no there is no inner doubt. And and people do uh look to that for for security. You know, when when there is crisis, people want some type of stability and uh psychopaths can present this facade or this mask where it, it they they portray, you know, this uh this figure, this strong figure who, you know, is is without any kind of um uh, any kind of internal turmoil, and you know yeah. there is no internal turmoil for for these these types of um, mm-hmm. uh, personality types. It's like it's like if this isn't Trump and it's all an act, that's scary. And if it is Trump and this is not an act, that's even scarier. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's the way I look at him. He's 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 scary either way. I happen to think this is who he is, and we're just. Yeah, I think we're so just too. experiencing the Donald, as I call him. We're experiencing <laughs> the Donald for who he is, and that 
is very concerning to me as a, not as an American as a human being because the stuff mm. that come the stuff that he says which if we translate it like you were mentioning earlier about going after their families this guy's talking about torture i that's what i read mm. he's talking about torturing mm-hmm. families to make them mm-hmm. give up and we all know that torture you'll say anything to you know to get to get out of that situation so i just am very, I mean, I'm, I can't even say I'm amused by it anymore because he's been at the top of the polls for so long, given that this is, you know, so far away from the general election that you can't really consider it a, a reliable piece of data because most people are not being polled right now. Voters are going to come out in the general election. But what it does say to me is that in the people that are getting polled, they flip and love this guy. And as a human yeah. being, that, that bothers me. You know, um, not just an American, but as a human being, it's like, geez, Louise, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. You know, on the on the subject of terrorism in particular, uh, there's a very interesting writer uh, named Dan Sanchez who recently came out with a piece called "Why ISIS Might Endorse Donald Trump for President," mm. and his point w- was that uh, Trump's um, uh, narcissism and and psychopathy even though he doesn't use these terms uh his his vilification of uh of all muslims uh mm-hmm. is actually the the very thing that in some cases radicalizes more muslims right uh, and i read that to, yeah i mean you know this isn't to say that that uh, the vast majority of, of Muslims are suddenly going to go jihad and and join ISIS and and commit acts of terrorism, but what it does mean is that you know uh, there there is going to be some response, uh, some some uh, some reaction. Uh, so the question he poses is you know uh, do you want terrorism or terrorists because it, Exactly what you say and do is that thing which perpetuates the problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's Trump. There isn't a constructive bone in, in his uh, in his body. There's nothing about this guy that that is uh, forward thinking um, or creative. I mean, he is a he's a reactionary blowhard. Uh, right. And that's not to say that he isn't dangerous. I mean, we we can all agree that the guy is very very dangerous. Um, yes. But he is part of the problem and not part of the solution. Clearly, yes, he's 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 probably without even realizing it because I don't think he's smart enough. He doesn't realize exactly what you just said, which is that he is perpetrating exactly what ISIS must just be sitting back, kicking back, saying, "Fantastic, keep it up," because, like you said, he's vilifying vilifying Muslims. He's basically creating an us against them mentality. And it's going to, if anything, I think, uh, in, enhance recruitment for ISIS, which is a whole complete different manifestation of terrorism that I don't think. I think now we've, we're we're understanding what we're dealing with, but I don't think, at least according to what Obama has blundered and said, and that we've contained ISIS because he does airstrikes, that doesn't even get to the heart of how you stop an organization like ISIS because there's, you know, so many other variables that we've never seen before. I mean, you know, one being visas and what we need to do to 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 fix that, which is how those terrorists bombed 
9-11, that's how they got here, and, and we need to change that, of course. But just the whole recruitment tactics that they use, the ability for their um, disseminated terrorists to fly back into their homeland, like in Paris, that was all coordinated by flipping Paris terrorists, you know, with the help of ISIS. But, I mean, that's what I think we're dealing with here. It's a complete different beast. So I, I just like your show a lot, and uh, thank you again for that Libya um, tip. I, I I feel like I got a whole different angle of, of understanding of, of what went on with that. And keep up the great work, man. You guys uh, rock. Thank you. Thank you. We've got another caller. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say, keep reading Sotley. Um, you know, even as people who work on Sot all the time, the shocks and the, and the information and revelations just keep coming. Thank you, man. I will. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. So we've, we've got another caller. We've got Joe on the line from Montana. Joe, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, okay, Joe, I've got a question. Hey, uh, Joe. You. Hey, who would you like to see as president and why? I, yeah, that's a uh, <laughs> – I, I, don't, I don't really think that there's that there's anybody that – uh, can can bring the United States out of this mess. I mean, when you when you look at the personally, I think that uh, Hillary Clinton is most likely to become president. Um, she has the the biggest track record for um, destroying countries and uh, scandal and you know all, all the all the presidential material that you know is, is needed to all right, so put let's somebody say out of office. out of the entire field of Democrats and Republicans, none of them you would like. Now, who would who would you like to see, if there's anybody that's alive, to be the uh, to be the president? I'd go for Putin. That's a great question. Yeah. You would like? Okay, now I hope you're facetious. <laughs> you mean we actually get to choose who the president? Would be? Yeah. Is this you anyone in the U.S. or anywhere yeah, in the anybody, world? Yeah, anybody, anybody, dead or living, anybody that you would have liked to have seen to have been president. I, actually, uh, I I don't think Shane was. Uh, I think Shane was only half kidding. No, so serious. Are you serious? And, yeah, and, I, yeah and I I would agree with you. Uh, I, I would consider Putin my president. Like even now, like even though, cause, because I mean he's he's, he's, he's he's the only sane world leader. Are you uh, kidding me? And you're no, talking about no, you're talking about the American people being gullible. Because he's over there and he's actually doing something against ISIS now, you're going to wipe out his 10, 20, 30 years of service to Russia, being a member of the KGB, um, being a member of the Communist Party, being an avowed enemy of the United States, and you would like to see this guy, uh, the, uh, the communist leader of a foreign land, to be the president of the United States. Well, he's not a communist leader. Um yeah, I, I I think that there's a lot there's I mean well there is you know there's tons and tons of uh, propaganda when it comes to uh, when it comes to Putin what the guy has done for Russia you know, since he's um, come into power you know is nothing short of um, amazing. So you know, he's he, given he, the he Russian brought... people more more liberty. He's lowered the taxes. He's made them feel more free. He's actually. Um, Implemented democracy. Well, let's take democracy. He's actually implemented capitalism to an optimum state. Is that what he's done? Well, you could say like in like a Russian version. You know, it's it's different. 
than from the United States. But you know, the United States model certainly so doesn't work. So, what would you work. do for the United States specifically in terms of taxes, in terms of individual freedom, in terms of adhering to the Constitution? What would he do? Well, when you when you look at what he did in Russia, um, largely it was he one of the first things that he did was basically get rid of the um, the oligarchs that were you know basically funneling most of the resources uh, out of Russia. So you know it, that was um, that was a big thing that he you know initially did, so and he helped he helped people accountable. Okay, so how would he translate that to being president of the United States, um, still adhering to our Constitution? Unless you want to throw the Constitution out. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Not sure I follow. Okay, you're saying you would want him as your president. So now, in this fantasy land, he's the president of the United States. So what would he do here as president of the United States, adhering to the Constitution, our Constitution? to help our people um, have more liberties, lower taxes, improve our freedom, improve our security. What would he do mm-hmm. while adhering to the Constitution? Well, Putin, as you know, <clears throat> he's a very vocal about following the law. And so if the Constitution is the basis of the law, he would be following that pretty strictly. We don't nowadays here in the U.S., very loosely used, especially in foreign policy and international law. He is very much for international law, whereas the U.S. totally opposite to that. I would say probably one of the first things he would do is, is stop the wars of aggression abroad. He would stop uh, picking fights with China. He would stop... Uh, he would probably crack down on all of the uh, NGOs and fifth columns that are attempting to undermine and subvert countries around the world to perpetuate the U.S. Uh, well, US hegemony that? and imperial uh, designs. How would he do that? Um, what kind of evidence do you have that he's done it without um, um, throwing people into prison without trial? Well, the, the evidence is that he doesn't do it himself. The evidence is that he's gone before the United Nations uh, to point out the fact that this is exactly the problem with the West and the United States in particular. Uh, And the fact that he is attempting to clean up the mess uh, that the U.S. has made in its support for proxy forces in Syria. And... um, and this is what the U.S. has been doing for a very well, long time. that's what he's doing for Russia, as because he's considering the United States as a threat. But my question is, what would he do as president here, adhering to the Constitution? Well, are you basically saying that there's nothing that anyone can do according to the Constitution that would fix the United States? Can you say that again? You, that sound, like a, you sound like you're in a closet. Is what you're getting at that it would be impossible to fix the United States without going against the Constitution? No, what I'm saying is you guys have a hypothetical um, okay, so international figure in mind, and you're saying that this guy, somebody who's a foreign leader overseas, he's a communist leader, regardless of what you say, he got up there by killing people, <laughs> he would become um, a... Okay, we've gotten rid of Joe, had about enough of him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well... 
Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a hypothetical, but I, you know, I, I he really wouldn't want. He's got Go ahead. Yeah, he's got a point in that um, it's not really plausible to to imagine Vladimir Putin, the man, like as he exists as president of the United States. It's kind of fun in this mm-hmm. hypothetical world to think so, but he is a Russian, and there's no there's no real way that he would be president of the United States. I think the thing to that um, I think the idea behind that sentiment is that what America needs is a is an American like Vladimir Putin is to Russia, because Russia is pretty much the or Putin is pretty much the ideal president for Russia. Now, an ideal president for America would have some of the same qualities as Putin. So that would be a um, like you guys have mentioned so far a commitment to international law and to the country's own constitution, the country's own laws. Also, intelligence, um, not not the kind of stupid lowbrow um, level of rhetoric that we get from guys like Donald Trump and even or the um, just the totally fake um, smiling butchery that you have with someone like Hillary Clinton, but someone who would actually within the laws of the own country, do something. Now, of course, we're not going to be able to figure out what these things are. Otherwise, we'd be doing these things as, in, in real life as politicians. So to ask us, so well, what would he do? Well, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I don't think he could know because we aren't, I mean, we're not professional um, administrators of large states. So I don't know what anyone could do, but I think that if there was a person like that, they would be able to figure out how to do it how to get rid of the oligarchs and yes, put some people in jail because a lot of people in the States deserve to be in jail and they are not right now. How to, how to get these people in jail, how to get them out of positions of power, how to effect a kind of internal coup against the people who are running the country into the ground in the positions of influence in the intelligence agencies and in all levels of government. Yes. A lot of these people deserve to be in jail. Well, how do you go about switching that around? Well, you've got to do something. I don't know how to do it. I'm not in that position. And to get the economy around. I mean, I don't know how people would do it, but there's got to be a way of doing something like what Putin has done in Russia, where if you look at the de- the demographics and the thing and the the economics, the the economics, everything has improved over the past 15 years. Nothing nothing's perfect yet, but things have improved. So there are definite things that can be done, and these things are not being done and have not been done by American politicians and American. Um, presidents for the last what how many years the the problem is uh i think there's a problem with the way that uh joe framed the question uh because first of all there doesn't seem to be very much in the structure of how things work in the u.s that would even allow Mm -hmm. for for someone uh like a putin to uh implement any any real reform any real changes at a fundamental level which is exactly what is needed the other thing is, you know, I, my my first thought really was, I, I I don't think I can even count. Well, maybe on one hand, I can count uh, the individuals who were American, who were active in political life uh, in the past fifty or sixty years, who I would uh, have the confidence in to take on such a uh, a huge um, undertaking, uh, because you know. The thing about Putin, as we know, is that it was his very background uh, 
in the KGB, uh, in the intelligence uh, services, that allowed him to think uh, strategically and in ways we probably can't even imagine about the the enemies to Russia from within and without. Uh, the last, you know, the last two people I can I can think of, or three people, uh, Dennis Kucinich, uh, congressman from the U.S. Uh, who's still alive but no longer really politically active, uh, with the exception of a few speeches. Paul Wellstone, uh, who went down in a in a plane, probably at the hands of uh, the Bush administration, when he was running for uh, Senate again. And Kennedy, uh, and we know what happened to to Kennedy, uh, who who had an inkling, but uh, but uh, certainly, um, you know, <laughs> there was some underestimation as to just how far. People were willing to go to to, to destroy his uh, leadership, and I think uh, that when you when you look at a problem this size, you I mean to believe that one person could change it is really that's got to be just pure wishful thinking. I mean in Russia, you know, look at Putin is an like beyond exceptional person, and you know he was like the man or he is the man of the hour. You know he's wouldn't, but it was the. You know the state of Russian society. It was kind of like history combining with Putin to kind of propel him into that position. From what I've seen, you know, he didn't do it alone. He had the support of a lot of a lot of people, and Russia, the Russian people themselves, you know, they lost the Soviet ideology and they needed something, and they needed. I mean, they basically, you know, they hit rock bottom and their society was crumbling. And and you know, as the 90s progressed, I mean, they got Putin. And now look, and he's he was the man that they needed, but they all, you know, it took, it took a nation to do it. Now, when you look over at the U.S., do you, have, you do not see that same kind of uh, conditions, not right now. I imagine that mm-hmm. this system is, you know, it's, you know, like you, you want to be able to say that something good could happen. Like, we all want to be able to say that. But when you look at it the way it is, you look at how people, this is their free will, you know, this is their free will to, to live in the system for a lot of them. This is the way they like it. They like their movies. They like their popcorn. They like um, the little things that they're given or, you know, they're damaged to the point that they're not they're not really capable of exercising their free will. And so it's unfortunate, the situation that we're in. But, yeah, to say that one person could change this is really not – yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, the, the All right, American – we got, a, Go we got another caller. We've got Rob on the line, and he's going to talk about uh, the call that we just had, I think. So, Rob, are you there? What do you got to say? Hi. Uh, yeah, I I remember reading a while back um, there was uh, information on the Constitution, and pretty much uh, it was written by uh, rich, powerful people that, that wanted their own country away from England to uh, basically uh, do what they wanted to do here. So uh, there were slaves, women couldn't vote, and even then they couldn't get it, they couldn't get the popular support until they created these Bill of Rights, which are amendments. Who would write a document that requires an amendment at the beginning? Uh, it's ridiculous how, how, how this fairy tale of the United States, that we have some kind of like freedom from the beginning, because even those people that fought the Revolutionary War came back to their farms being repossessed. They petitioned the New York State government to get um, forgiveness for their for their loans. And the, the banks, 
the banks got what they wanted. They they got to repo these these people who fought, who, who who lost their arms and legs. So our government has started from the beginning for the pathocrats. And I, I don't. I hate when people say, "Oh, how are you going to do it for the Constitution?" How about we stop following a document that was written by slave owners and start writing our own consciousness, our own conscience? It just it just really pissed me off when he was saying that because that that's like just the, the the authoritarian follower parodying as if we have freedom here and and in communism they didn't. I'm sorry, it just upset me a lot. Uh, it's just ignorance. Thanks for sharing, Rob. That's a great point. Yeah, well, I mean... So, go ahead. Go oh, ahead, no. Rob. Let it, it out. It, it's, it, yeah, no, I'll let you guys go. I'm just saying that, you know, our government has never been free. It, it's been run by, by, by money from the beginning. Uh, I think an argument could be made that some of the, you know, founding fathers did see, um, you know, the dangers of centralized banking, uh, but but certainly many of them were hypocrites and kept slaves. They they didn't take, you know, they didn't take their sentiments far enough with themselves and their own doings. Uh, but that's a that's a big topic and a, and an interesting proposition you pose, Rob. You know, why don't we write a new constitution based on you know these times that we're living in? But I just wanted to add, you know, so right now in our chat room we have uh, someone who um, kind of a classically ignorant. Um, person kind of bashing uh, Putin, comparing him to Stalin and Hitler. And uh, so so much of what we talk about on the show is, um, you know, beliefs versus real kind of thinking and, and critical analysis of uh, of the, the people and the events that we see of the day. Um, there is a plethora of information that's been suppressed by the West. So it's quite understandable that that um, you know, reading many of the publications and seeing a lot of the news that that gets shoved down our throats in the West about Putin, that um, that you'd think that the guy was just a strongman, that he was just a you know uh, uh, an authoritarian type, and it's it's a shame. Um, <clears throat> so we encourage you, even though you know this will go to no. Uh, to no good end, probably, but we do encourage you to read SOT occasionally, S-O-T-T dot net, and, um, and really see uh, what some independent thinkers and, and analysts have to say about the guy based on what he has done, not about the fact that they like the watch that he wears or the way he commands an audience, uh, but his actions uh, speak volumes uh, about who he is. Is he perfect? No. Uh, is he is his character um, of a very high caliber? Yeah, that you know all the information that that we've come across would point to that fact. I'd yeah, like to I think add we, that. Um, I'm sorry. No, Rob, go ahead. Hello. Um, go ahead, Rob. Uh, so my family's from Eastern Europe, and I was born there, but I was raised here. And uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, throughout communism, even World War One, before communism and all that, the, the people had a different mentality. They knew that leaders were corrupt. They knew that you couldn't trust a newspaper. Even before communism, I heard stories from grand grandparents. Um, for some reason, in, in the United States, we believe newspapers. 
we pick like, oh, I believe the New York Times, or I believe the, the, the there's no such thing as a true skepticism or stoicism in, the, in this country. It's, it, it's this optimism, this blind optimism that somehow, like, if you believe that one party is going to do it, you know, like over there, they, they, they knew both sides were corrupt. So, like, the people themselves were, were healthy skeptics, and they challenged authority. Over here, we're, we're sheep. We're, we're total idiots. I'm sorry. I mean, even in New York City, you know, the liberal capital of the United States, you could call it, maybe San Francisco, too. It's still naive. I mean, I have a lot of friends. They still believe Hillary might do something or, or, or Bernie Sanders, who voted for wars. Uh, I just It's ridiculous. I'm going to let you guys go, but I'm just saying that why why do we do that? I mean, is it is it the fluoride in our water or something? I mean, <laughs> yes, it, it yes, that's me. definitely. <laughs> thanks so much for calling, Rob. Good to hear from Hi. you. Thanks, thanks Rob. So, guys, we've got uh, we got another caller from this is Bob from New York. So, Bob, are you on the line? Yeah, yeah I, I'm online. Can Hi, you hear Bob. me? Hi, Bob. Hello. Yep. yep. Hey, I, you know, I, I, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and uh, when I came back home, I, I noticed all the uh, disruption that was taking place. But you know what I, I've observed through the years? I'll be 70 next month. I, I, I've been observing that things seem to be tightening up around all of us for some odd reason. I, I don't know what it is, but it, it seems like there's more laws uh there's more regulations um, anything to do with finances are all scrutinized by everybody credit bureaus uh banks and and it, it seems to me that it's not getting any better it's actually getting worse and I, and i i wonder uh, i i know that when the country was formed we were in bad shape uh, Adams went over to France, tried to get some money, and, and he was laughed out because he couldn't speak French. Uh, but somehow, I think some of the large banking families had had actually taken over the U.S. and, and some other countries. And I think we're still caught in that mess. And I, I don't see any way out. I, I don't see how... Anyone here in the U.S. is is uh, going to get any better or any any uh, problem solved whatsoever? Uh, I think our Congress, I think all the state legislatures, are all being controlled. Now that's my observation. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, I think that was well put, Bob. Um, and you know, it, it it affects people so deeply, and you know, I, I can. You know, I, I hear the you know the frustration, and you know, I think I think it's 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 pretty much spot on. And you know, I don't know um, that there are answers for the way out for the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, um, do you think you know, that, we're, we're... that could go ahead? Go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. No, yeah. Do you I, think? I, I, you... Go ahead. Do you think that that that's the reason for with with some of the uh the ways our our president has acted by allowing uh you know the inflow of of um 
non-citizens. And um, do you think that that uh, is going to raise the uh, the terrorism level in this country? Do you think we're letting people in here that shouldn't be coming in? You know, I've been looking at some of the people coming in. They look pretty young to me. They look like they could be trained fighters. You know what I'm saying? They could be coming in, waiting for that day, waiting for the whistle to blow. And uh, are we ready? I mean, really, a citizenry, are we ready to uh, handle a a red dawn? You know, I, I can equate it to that. Well, the, the Red Dawn has already occurred, uh, and and what I mean is this. Um, the enemy is within. Um, you know, I think another question we might ask is, what has the U.S. been doing in the past 15 years, or even in the past 50 years, that has been creating, facilitating uh, the situations that the, that these questions about immigration would even be brought up at this time. And I'd just like to add to that uh, to kind of flesh out what you're saying, Bob, about the economy and these banking interests and these young men cross the border. I mean, when you think about if, you know, these, if there's banking groups, financial groups, um, you know, with these vetted interests in, in controlling, you know, most areas of the lives, making as much money as they can off of loaning money to countries, um, but it's not just the U.S. that's involved in this, but it's it's widespread. And, you know, through various trade agreements and everything, these uh, countries have become destitute because of massive amounts of debt. So a lot of these young men who are coming over here, um, I know that the media does tell us to be afraid, you know, for our lives. For, uh, but at the same time, you know, you said, are we ready for this? And I think on a deep level, we just have to be aware as much as possible about what's really going on in this uh, in this situation, and to remember to retain, you know, just that um, that aspect of ourselves that can kind of that can make the difficult choices to move forward in our own lives and to, to learn really just to kind of grow in knowledge about what's what's really going on. You know, and I think you've got a really good idea there. And I think that you can probably continue to, you know, if you, I don't know, if you read uh, Signs of the Times? No, I don't. No? Well, that's, uh, that's the website that, we, uh, that we're editors for, and that's, that's where we draw our information. So that's a great Which place one? to check Which out. Which site? It's What's S-O-T-T. S-O-T-T dot net. Oh, stop dot net. I like that. Yep. SOTP.net. Yep. That's you guys managing that? We're part of the group, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, I definitely well, I definitely say just yeah, just get information, just just keep reading and you know, and then discuss it out. Yeah, and the other thing I observed, um I used to uh, escort those uh oversized loads cross country. You know, the ones with blinking lights on cars, stuff like that, on, on those huge, wide and high type of loads. Um, there have been some Russian troops and Chinese troops in this country, and they're still here. I'm just wondering why they're here in our country. And here we are on the Syrian border, both sides shooting each other. 
It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, Russian troops and, and American troops shooting at each other at the Syrian border. That doesn't make sense, what, what's going on over there. And yet, it seems to be they're, they're training here in this country so for some reason. There's a huge board, a buildup of Russians on, on the northern border, I believe above Montana, and the Mexican border, I, I believe south of El Paso there. You know, it kind of makes me wonder... <clears throat> some about to, something is about to break that people aren't ready for. That that's what I happen to notice. And, and uh, reading some other subjects, uh, it kind of makes sense now that uh, somebody's trying to take over. I don't know who it is or, or what their plans are, but uh, you know, being a marine, once a marine, always a marine. Uh, you know, I can uh, see some leaves falling, you know, and uh, kind of makes me wonder well, what's happening. Yeah, so uh, as for the stories of um, Russian and Chinese troops in the U.S. Uh, doing drills and such, um, I, I haven't read anything that that uh, that was um, that that pointed that that out in a credible way yet, um, but I'll keep an eye open for that. Bob. Sure. And I, I, wish I do you want would. I do Yeah. Uh, it would be very interesting if that happened to be true. Um but uh you know you 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 pose the question who who wants to take over here? And um you know the answer is both simple and complex at the same time, but uh pretty much the one of the conclusions that we've come to uh you know the editors here um is that those individuals who are in positions of power in the U.S. and in other places who have taken over are uh, psychopaths. And um, they're individuals who lack any sort of uh, conscience or responsibility to their fellow man, for the most part. And that there are other people who are... Are you talking about are, our Congress? you talk about Congress or the administrative or, or even our court system? Uh, well, all of the above. And businesses uh, and and businesses and and uh, and the and the military industrial complex and the military and uh, and this isn't to say that all of all of them are psychopaths. Many of them have very good intent and are are good citizens and patriotic and want only good things for their fellow uh, man. But there are some people who wield a lot of power in various places who uh, who have incredible amounts of control over certain things. And um, as we're as we're coming to understand, uh, they are following certain agendas to their own profit, but to the detriment of many other people. Um, and this this understanding has come to us through a book called Political Ponderology, uh, the science of evil adjusted for political purposes, which basically gives a, an account by by a doctor, by a psychologist, uh, who is able to observe. In his own uh, experience, how uh, many people involved in the intelligence uh, services, uh, in in politics, in the military, uh, are basically not quite human. Um, they look human. They laugh like they're human. Uh, they might be charismatic. But the bottom line is that they just don't give a shit about their fellow man. Uh, Are you sure? So what, 
Are you mm-hmm. sure they are not human? I mean, could they be aliens, shapeshifters? Well, that uh, what what I mean by not human is that they don't have humanity, uh, that they lack any kind of altruistic, uh, normal feelings or responsibilities or conscience. Morals that that would characterize um, a decent person. It's kind of like a like a, a handicap. You imagine somebody's born with a handicap. Uh, these individuals are born with a handicap that they don't have a, a certain you know part of the a functioning a fully functioning human anatomy. Really, is what it comes down to to their brain. You know, so if someone could be born with um, autism or with a club foot, it's some it's similar to that. Except these people basically don't have a conscience. They don't have a heart for other people. And we and most people just aren't aware of that because how can you see that? You can't see that until you see the way uh, that they leave behind them of all the broken hearts and the um, you know, broken countries. And, you know, and w- but once you see that, then you can start to say, well, does this person have a conscience? It's, you know, what is going on here? So it's not like we use this term willy-nilly. It's, it's, very, you know, it's very clinical. There's a lot of research on that. And it's still kind of just coming out into the into the public domain that there are people out there who are who are out to hunt. They're predators. Yes. Are you talking about elected officials specifically? Elected officials, uh, yes. Uh, but also, you know, I think a lot of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an elected official. Um, Although it can certainly include, you know, elected officials, um, positions of power. Yeah, people who who wield, you know, influence. It could be people in the media, um, you know, who who have a, a big audience and and are able to move people in in certain ways of thinking and behaving. Uh, it can be authors. Uh, it can be, you know, people in, uh, like I said, in business and uh, banking and, and and so on. You know, it, it's religion. <coughs> And no, the, excuse me. And there are books that that uh, examine this pretty closely, Bob. Um, one of our chatters just uh, reminded me of uh, a book called Snakes in Suits, uh, which is I've about how that. psychopaths uh, move in the business world. There's uh, the Sociopath <clears throat> Next Door, which is about interpersonal interactions with with uh, psychopaths and in, in relationships. So, I mean, it it it's it touches every sphere of uh, human interaction. Hey, I thank you all for letting me come on and voice my opinion, but I'd like to leave by just saying that being a United States Marine, uh, serving in Vietnam, I came back not in a body bag but on two feet. Uh, I I don't want to be in a position to, because I'm very patriotic. I I love the country. I love this nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll die for this nation on my feet. But I do not. Uh, I'm not going to live on my knees either. But mm-hmm. I see. I see the direction going towards forcing the people here in the United States to start living on their knees, just totally begging the government for everything. That's what mm-hmm. I'm beginning to see, and I don't want to be put in a position, being a veteran, of choosing sides. That's a horrible thought, but I'm sure there are many veterans out there, especially Marines, 
that don't want to be caught in that position either. But the way things are going, it's going to come down towards uh, possibly another civil war. I hate to see it take place. Mm-hmm. But uh, the haves are not going to give up what they got, and the have-nots want everything that the haves have. You, you know what I'm getting to? It, it, yeah. It's it's a big financial crunch, and I see it getting worse. I, I'm totally dependent right now on, on my past efforts. I, I, I get Social Security. I get retirement, and, and I get VA compensation um, for, you know, service-connected stuff. But um, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I don't want to be put in a position where I have to choose sides. Uh, that, oh, that's yeah. going to be a terrible thing. I don't know if you guys are veterans, but uh, I know what it's like. War is not a pretty sight. It's very, very ugly. And uh, I'm glad I came and, home in one piece. Yes, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, Bob, I, I, I think your uh, sentiment there is appreciated more than uh, more than I can say. Uh, you know, what we're the developments we're seeing um, is really kind of, you know, you can just see them unfolding, and people uh, will feel compelled to choose one way or the other. And um, you know, we. Several weeks ago, we had a show on uh, on precisely this topic. Uh, you know, all of the all of the things that would come into play in, in causing an American, a new American revolution or civil war, and uh, because all of the policies, all of the uh, all of the thinking, all of the um, all of the, the stories that are covered in the media in just such a way, are designed uh, to divide us uh from ourselves from others um and uh and and there are a lot of people who are very prone to reacting one way or the other because of all of this divisiveness um in any case it was a pleasure speaking to you and uh thank you and it, and again it, you know your your comments are appreciated yeah thank okay, you for I'll your comments to the rest Right, I've listened to your rest of your show here. You got a great show going here. Thank you. Thanks. Thank Bye. you, Bob. Well, there are a couple of stories that um that we have yet to cover that we wanted to touch upon today. Um maybe we'll maybe we'll just um round out the show with a, a short description of the events in Chicago of late. Um and uh since we're coming coming at this two hour mark here. Um and of course uh what's what's being alluded to are the uh protests in Chicago, uh predominantly by blacks but other individuals who are righteously angry at the way that Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, and his administration have been handling not only the uh, Laquan Williams case in which uh, McDonald McDonald, thank you, um, in which a 17-year-old um, young black youth who posed no harm to police officers uh, was shot in cold blood, 16 bullets, and and how you know the video only became apparent once. Um, 
you know the the uh the authorities were compelled by a judge to release it and then compelled to try the police officer on charges of murder i believe it was yeah that was uh i mean that that event happened a year ago and um you know the police department basically tried to pay off the family uh 5 million dollars and you know they were fighting to to get this video released and um yeah and finally they did and uh afterward it was yeah like you said only afterward that they charged the police officer uh, and you know Rahm Emanuel tried to or he uh had the uh, police chief resign and you know this is this is in the backdrop of of this event is um you know it's the proverbial needle in haystack or um uh camel that the straw that broke the camel's back type thing um chicago you know in the past months uh there's been just this uh this torrent of information about um you know torture centers and um that involved high level police officers um you know torturing and just like uh these these suspects uh people who you know they weren't found guilty of any some of them were completely innocent and uh in addition to that um hundreds uh i think over 400 um cop killings uh within the past um 7 8 years i think 2000 it went back to 2007 <coughs> excuse me so there is you know there there's this this outrage this rightful um justified outrage uh overseeing uh this event where you know you see this this teenage boy who is walking on the highway away from these cop cars and they get out and um shoot him down uh and you know it, it's um it it was what what made it even what makes it outrageous now too was watching um Rahm Emanuel's uh, uh press conference mm-hmm. where you know he 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 talks in these uh, apologetic terms and you know it it was really nauseating uh to to sit through and I, I actually couldn't sit through the whole thing uh you know he says he takes complete responsibility and he's the mayor he owns it I mean, what complete garbage. Um, That's Is that the conference where he blamed the YouTube effect for people being angry about this uh, spate of killings? Because I, I know uh, I was just reading an article where it said that uh, he, blamed the YouTube, he blamed YouTube for people being angry about this, which, I mean, it's, that in itself is so irresponsible to imagine somebody in that kind of a leadership position being so flippant. Mm-hmm. about someone's life that he's, you know. Yeah, but at the same time, um, it says that uh, the article, this report says that about 7,000 people had been secretly detained and and held without due process in Holman Square. Um, that's where they're tortured. They The police will take these young men in. I believe it said about 85% of them uh, were black. And they take them into this... Uh, into what people call just a scary 
you know, lawyers have called it just a scary place out of some, you know, movie. And, for example, I mean, three were held and they were just kicked, beaten, put in kennels for humans, heard blood-curdling screams of other helpless victims while they thought they would never see the light of day again. And, um, and these guys are getting out and they're telling their stories about what they're experiencing in there. What is going on underneath Rahm Emanuel's watch in that place is got to be exposed. And that's what I think, you know, I mean, they are, that's why these activists are out there. I mean, it's, they've got to expose this ridiculous pathological torture, you know, it's a torture house for Rahm Emanuel, these high-level cops, and the media, the local media isn't really reporting a lot about it. A Chicago activist said that she was, uh, she blamed that on the media's complicity, that they're, you know, this this racist idea that this place is, um, you know, this is where they sort problems out without getting the, the you know, in the rest of the, the city involved, you know, but just just disgusting. And this is really where we see the parallel between uh, what the U.S. is doing abroad uh, with what the U.S. is doing here domestically. Um, I mean, uh, the Homan Square uh, detention facility has been compared to black sites where the CIA would take individuals off the streets from wherever, um, you know, on, on some suspicion that they were involved in this or that, and, uh, and basically uh, torture them, hold them without due process. Um, it, is a, it is a kind of nightmare scenario. People have died in custody uh, at Homan Square. Um, and so it just speaks to this larger uh, kind of fascist, totalitarian uh, evil uh, that, as you were saying before, Corey, you know, Rahm Emanuel has been presiding over. Um, and he's a career politician. He's he was involved with the Clinton administration, with the Obama administration. You know, nice Jewish boy from Chicago makes good. Uh, he's had a career. You know, he's made sixteen million dollars in two years working with one investment company. Uh, was a congressman. Um, in some ways, he's you know, except for the level he's reached, he's probably kind of uh, par for the course. Or hack politicians in the U.S. Uh, I thought it would be nice to become mayor of Chicago. And then, you know, as you were saying, Shane, he gives this, this nauseating speech, you know, where he's kind of uh, trying to take responsibility. He's trying to save his ass, basically. Uh, people want his head, rightfully so. And, um, and I, I hope they go all the way with it, not, not in taking his head off, <laughs> but uh, necessarily. But but in getting him ousted, uh, let this be a message uh, to to leaders who aren't proactive. It, it's only now that you realize you have a problem and you want to take responsibility after after so many cases of police brutality and murder, after all the stories that have come out about Homan Square. I mean, for God's sakes, you know who who do you think you're fooling? You're certainly not fooling the people in uh, in Chicago. They have your number. Um, and many of us have your number now. Um, so uh, kudos to them. And um, are there any other points you want to touch upon about this story? No? If not, then uh, I think we'll, we'll bring this, uh, this show to its uh, conclusion. And um, I just want to uh, thank our chatters for chatting and, and commenting. 
And um, and our callers, Stephen, Lee, uh, Rob, Bob, and even Joe, uh, who's given us uh, some some colorful uh, conversation today. Um, and uh, don't forget, uh, tomorrow, Behind the Headlines at 2 p.m., um, next Friday, the Health and Wellness Show at 10 a.m., and until then, everybody, be well. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.